you know, in order to, in order to physically live, I need air. And I need water to drink. I need food to eat. And, and you do too. And to spiritually live, I need Jesus. I need his spirit in me. I need his word speaking to me. I need other Christians in my life. I need the church. And so do you. All of us would affirm that air and water and food is essential to life. Likewise, every one of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ would believe that we need Jesus. That we need the Bible. But when it comes to coming to church, well, maybe we're not all on the same page. My guess is that if we took a poll of everyone's understanding of what the church is and its importance, we would probably have uh, just as many uh, um, uh, opinions, uh, maybe even more opinions than are actually here, because sometimes us Baptists have two opinions on, on a given subject. And so uh, for some of us, it's just simply a place that we come to on Sunday mornings when we don't have anything else to do, or if we're up early enough and we need to figure out something to do. Or maybe to some of us, church is just that place that our grandmother went to that we would go and visit uh, uh, on the uh, Christmas and Easter. Or some have even dismissed it completely and opted out and said, well, rather, um, I believe that I can worship God just the same uh, on a hike or by sleeping in or uh, whatever is... Uh, most uh, convenient of spending time with family, whatever, whatever it may be. And one thing that COVID has unfortunately taught us uh, is, and untruthfully convinced us many of, is that church is something that uh, we can do on our own in front of a screen or that it is simply an unnecessary part of the Christian life. Air, water, and food are essential to physical life. Jesus and his word are essential to spiritual life. The church? Well, I'm sad to say that there's a lot of us who would simply put it by the side, uh, by the wayside, if we even needed it and if it was convenient. Scripture tells us, however, that the church is absolutely necessary to Christians as air is to the human body. In fact, the Bible does not even show us one example of a Christian who is living out the Christian life apart from a local body of believers. We cannot be attached to Christ if we are not attached to his church. And in our time together this morning, I hope to convince you uh, of what the Bible says about what the church is and also why it's crucial for believers to identify with the body of believers. So let's pray and then we'll get to work. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what this thing called the church is, what it means for us as individuals, and what it means for us as a community of believers here. I pray that the Spirit would work mightily today and help us to love the fellowship of believers here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Well, because we have so many uh, opinions about what the church is and, and why it is important and, and maybe at different levels of importance, uh, I hope to clear up some confusion by uh, looking at two things. The first is, is that we need to have a clear understanding of what the church is. 
We need to have a clear understanding of what the church is. The church is first and foremost an assembly of God's people. It is made up of the people that God has called out of sin and brought into the light of his glorious grace. The word that we use for church comes from a Greek word. The word itself isn't important, but it is important to note that the church is not a building. It's not a place that you necessarily go to. More specifically, it is a people that are gathered together to worship and praise Jesus, to proclaim the gospel, and to encourage each other to grow more deeper in our walk with Jesus and the newness of life that comes from the gospel. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus lays out the foundation for what the church uh, would be. Jesus took his disciples to a, a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was a place that was known for pagan worship and, and all sorts of things that were uh, not in accord with God. And he brings his disciples to this place to ask them two questions. The first question that he asks them is, who does the culture think I am? And they all have different answers. Prophet, maybe it's John the Baptist, reincarnated, whatever. And then Jesus gets real with them. And he says, but Forget the culture. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, as the unofficial spokesman, steps forward and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus responds by saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, so in response to uh, Peter's confession, Jesus gives Peter a new name and gives him a new identity. He calls him Peter, which literally means rock or it means stone. And this is significant because Jesus will then go on to say, and on this rock, on this Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail or overpower it. And this has been widely misunderstood in a few different ways. Within the Roman Catholic tradition, the belief is that Jesus is building his church upon one person in particular, in Peter himself. They would say that Peter became the first bishop of Rome, and therefore any bishop that comes after him as the head of the church of Rome is the head of the church itself that this person would have the church on his shoulders. This would eventually turn into the papacy and, be, and, and why we still see a succession of the office of the pope. In the Protestant tradition, a couple of views emerge. One holds that Jesus was essentially talking about Peter, but only as the leader of the apostles. And that the church is built upon the, the, the work of the other apostles and Peter, but the most convincing understanding would be to see that Jesus is metaphorically placing the rock image on Peter because of his confession of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the Son of the living God. It would be that confession that would be the foundation of the church, and it is that confession that the gates of hell will not silence. So the church then is built on the unflinching conviction and confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And those who hold that confession are Christ's church. The church, however, is visible in the local gathering of people. Wherever God's people are, they will meet physically as a church. 
For example, Paul writes uh, his letters to the Corinthians by, state, by saying to the church that is of God that is at Corinth. And he writes to the church of Galatia, to the churches of Galatia. And when you read all the beginnings of these letters to the churches, it is clear that he is writing to a specific body of people in a specific location for a specific reason. The local expressions of the confession of Christ, then, is one way in which we see the body of Christ extended. There's a sense in which we as individuals are the hands and we're the, we're the feet of Jesus, but together as a body. And there's also a sense in which if we don't take church involvement and church membership and church attendance seriously, then we're not part of the body of Christ. If we're not active in a local church, we're about as good as a severed hand. And a severed hand can only wither and rot. When we as members of Christ's body need to be connected to one another, and you can't do that unless you are here. And I'm so grateful that the Lord gave us technology that we needed in order to live stream during COVID. It allowed us to be connected when we couldn't be, and that connection, though, is something that is not a replication. And it's not a substitution for being here. That's why many churches have stopped doing the live stream altogether in order to, to get their people back to what the Scripture is telling us. And you might rightly ask them, well, why do why is there still a camera here? And there's still a camera there because as a church, we're changing our focus less of a congregation that is meeting online and rather the digital platform being a way of outreach, a way for people to get to know our church before they come in. And as I said in our annual report, we have digital connections now uh, from people tuning in from Minnesota and I think 47 or 46 different states. We have people that tune in from China and throughout all of the world. And so the digital platform is meant to introduce people to our church with the hopes that, well, the local people would come anyway. And so if you're part of Emmanuel and you're watching at home, I want to encourage you to come back. We need you here. And if you're one that, that uh, maybe you come once every three weeks, once every four weeks, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to Christ's church. We need you here. Second, we need to be convinced of your need. You need to be convinced of your need for the church. I need to be convinced of my need for the church. And the most important verse for understanding or the section of Scripture for understanding the nature of needing to be uh, in church is found in Hebrews 10. Now, the book of Hebrews, we have absolutely no clue who wrote the the. the letter of Hebrews. But if we were to put a, a banner statement over what the book of Hebrews is all about, it would be the words, Jesus is better. And in the first 10 uh, chapters, the author labors convincingly that Jesus is better than angels, that Jesus is better than Moses, that Jesus is better than the high priest, that he's better than animal sacrifices, that he is better than the old covenant, and so on and so forth. Then in the middle of chapter 10, he uh, shifts from showing how Jesus is better than anything to showing us what that means for us today. And 
when we look at uh, verse 19, he begins to show us that Jesus, because Jesus is better, we need to meet regularly. Besides the command to uh, meet to praise the Lord regularly, there are three reasons why we ought to meet together. To encourage each other, to persevere in the faith, and to protect one another. And notice how these three things have to do with the concept of community. Notice first that we meet together for encouragement. In, uh, meet me in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So notice that this author here uh, begins his argument in verses 19 through 21 on two facts. Number one, that we have confidence through Christ's blood to enter the holy places. That is, that we have confidence because of Christ, to be in the presence of God himself. And second, that Jesus is our high priest, who is the intermediary between us and God the Father. And because we have these two great truths applied to us, we see three things that we ought to strive toward. First, he says we ought to draw near with full assurance. We find that in verse 22. Second, that we need to hold fast the confession of our hope. Remember, we just talked about the confession that Christ is Lord and Savior. And in verse 24, the author tells us that we ought to consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. And we would all admit that these are really important aspects of the Christian life that we ought to strive toward, but outside of a community of believers— it's almost impossible to accomplish. That's why the author then gives us the means by which we can work towards these goals. In verse 25, he says, But let us do these things, not neglecting to meet together as uh, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, English poet John Donne coined the phrase that no man is an island. And the same is true for, for us Christians. It's impossible to live the Christian life in isolation from other Christians. How is it that we can uh, draw near uh, with full assurance without Christians helping cheer us on in the process? How is it that you and I can continue in our confession of the faith of who Jesus Christ is when every day you are being hit on every side to conform to the culture and the world, you need the church to redirect your gaze so you can decompress from the indoctrination of culture. How is it that you can stir other people on to love and to good works if you're not meeting with them? 
You might try to argue with me that you can do just fine by simply watching on the internet or having your favorite pastor as being uh, your church or by reading your Bible on your own, but I would probably say that on the authority of Scripture, that's a rather ignorant view of, of ourselves and our abilities and, and what we're able to do. To say that you can love Jesus but not the church is like me saying to a buddy, man, I love you, but I really can't stand your wife. It's a package deal. They go together. Being a church together, coming here regularly, has a built-in encouragement center. You come here and you might be sitting next to or across or behind someone who just lost a loved one. But yet in their grief, they're singing the praise of Jesus' tender mercies. You may be sitting around someone who is battling an addiction, and in their struggles, they are singing that Jesus is enough. You may come here and see two people who have nothing in common, worldly speaking, but yet they get along like they are family. I know and I am encouraged when I see people helping other, uh, people of the church helping others out, whether it be physically, spiritually, emotionally, sometimes even financially without shame, without hesitation. I'm encouraged when I come here after a hard week and someone says to me, you know what, Pastor, I've been praying for you. And I know it encourages you when someone says, I've been praying for you. And all that you will see on, you, that you will see on a computer screen is what happens on this stage. You won't see the true ministry that is happening where you are at right now. So we need to encourage each other to press on in faith. Next, we come to church to be protected in the faith. Look at, uh, let's keep going in verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy be based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think uh, one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has no regard as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, vengeance is mine, uh, belongs to me, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So another function of the church is to protect each other from what we call apostasy. And apostasy uh, just means to abandon the confession of Christ as Lord. And we can misread this verse and, 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 and come to the conclusion to say that we can lose our salvation. And I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews was going. And I don't think that's what the thrust of the Bible is. The author is acknowledging that it is possible for people to intellectually know the truth. To uh, live a life that looks like a believer for a while. But when the going gets tough shows what's really in the heart. We see that in the, the parable of the sower and the seed. 
that Jesus gave to us. That's, why the, uh, that's what the author is trying to discourage here. He is saying that there is a built-in protection of the church by which when we live in community together, it is much more difficult to walk away from the faith. When we live in isolation from the church, there's no one around us to hold us accountable. Take, for example, if we have uh, a struggle with, with uh, gambling or something, and, and if you're not connected, it's really easy to hide because no one is coming to you and saying, how are you doing on that? Well, what's going on? If you're dealing with pornography or drugs or same-sex tendencies or something, uh, even something like a negative attitude or a gossipy heart in the church, you've got people around you who, who, are, who ought to come around you and, and, and alongside of you and say, you know what, I love you and I'm going to see that you are walking with the Lord. It's easy to go down that dark path of sin. And when we begin to deliberately go on in patterns of sinning, we fall into what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. I'm not saying you have lost your salvation, but it at least is indicative that something is wrong. Judgment is at hand, and you need the community of protection. And finally, notice, uh, the church is a system by which we persevere in our faith. Uh, Find me in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened that you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. And I'm going to skip down to verse 39. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So the key word in this paragraph here is the word endurance or perseverance. The Christian life is a struggle And I'm going to get honest with you here with the direction and the speed that our culture is moving right now. It won't be long before some of us really start seeing hardships just for the confession of faith that we have in Christ Jesus. It was for the early church. The author makes known to his audience that there have been times in which they have received persecution. They've had possessions taken from them. They've had goods taken from them because of their faith. And likewise, there are times in which uh, these folks have been sympathizers. And both are so important. Because when you are getting sued because you won't bake a cake for a wedding, or if you are getting fined for failing to use the gender pronoun that doesn't match with someone's chosen identity, it will be really easy to say, well, uh, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to, I don't want to pay a fine. So I guess I'll just go along with it. But that's not an option for Christians. We're commanded by our Lord and Savior to hold to the faith once delivered to all the saints. That doesn't mean we're jerks about it. It means we're loving. 
We plug deeper into the community of Christ in order to gain encouragement for, pers- uh, for perseverance. Or we dish out encouragement to others who are having a hard, to- uh, excuse me, a hard time. And if you think this is far off, guess again. It's already happening in Canada. In New York City right now, you can be fined up to a quarter million dollars for intentionally misgendering someone. It's coming. And that is just where the writer is going when he wrote again in verse 25. Don't neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, the closer that we get to Christ coming, the more difficult it is going to get. It's, uh, it's already pretty difficult for a lot of us. We've lost loved ones. We have gotten diagnoses. We have parental struggles. Life is hard and we need each other. And a screen can't do that. We need to be here. Nature can't do what we do in in here. We need the church for encouragement. We need the church for protection. And we need the church for perseverance. Runners. What happens when you run really hard for a long time? You need air, right? You start breathing heavier. You need to survive. Your muscles and other parts of your body are lacking oxygen, so your heart starts beating a little bit quicker in order to get your lungs to move more and you get more oxygen throughout your your bloodstream. And being a Christian is a lot like running a marathon. You need oxygen. And the church is the mask and the tube by which God gives his grace to us. We need each other. You need me. I need you. We are the church. The day is drawing near. Make it a priority today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more content, be sure to subscribe. If you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission. Text the word, GIVE to 320 313-1950